0: In a row, as we look at what the early church did, the five practices of the early church that they did so well, they didn't just do what they're supposed to. They excelled at these five qualities of the early church that we as a church um, are looking at to see how are we doing? Where do we where do we lack in? Where do we uh, push ourselves to, to get out of our comfort zones and do a little bit better? The first one we looked at was the, what the, the people did is they devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching. I put it as paying attention to the preaching of the word. You guys are here, you're putting yourselves under the teaching of me, but whoever is speaking on behalf of what God's word says. So that was the first thing that they did, and they did this religiously. Day after day they got together to hear what was it that God wanted them to hear through what the apostles said. Practice number two was participation in the church body. And that meant that they were living life together. They were intertwining their lives with each other because they knew that they needed each other. And a part of a church is being there for each other, helping each other, encouraging each other when when times get tough as if as a church body, as if a home body would do for as, as a family. Number three was praying together. I love the idea of people praying together, even at church on Tuesday, on behalf of people in our church body. And the people were devoted to doing that. Uh, Some commentaries I mentioned said they might have been praying Old Testament prayers, but also they were praying like you and I would. They're praying for their sins to be forgiven. They're praying for health of a loved one. They're praying for wisdom and direction as they move forward. So, like I said, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 Uh, Let me read that for you today before we dive in to see what was practice number four of the early church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many miraculous signs and wonders were performed among the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people people. And the Lord added daily to their number, those who are being saved. We've read God's word. Let's ask God to bless her as we look at it. Thank you, God, for your word. God, I thank you for what you want to teach us today about uh, what the early church did that we need as a church need to do. Let us be encouraged even more to put into practice. Uh, What your word says. I do ask God that you would take me aside and just speak what you want us all to hear. God, I know you're speaking to me as much as to anybody in here. Let us be challenged, let us be encouraged by what you want to teach us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, practice number four was the practice of breaking bread together. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And there's two ways to look at this, this breaking of bread together. Uh, Way number one is breaking bread together as if we are eating together. That's not a hard one, right? And practice number two is what we're going to be doing in a little bit today, and that is celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So practice number one of of breaking bread together is partaking of a meal as in eating together. In verse 46, it says they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Obviously, this is off the premises of the temple. This is in their individual homes. They are choosing to do this. And it says they are devoted to doing this continually, constantly. You get a lot of people together and you're obviously going to meet lots of new people and they are getting to know each other Intertwined their lives fellowship with each other by getting together in their homes to eat and and they were breaking bread and it says they enjoyed it it says they were they had glad and they had sincere hearts glad there was gladness there was joy there was extreme joy hey i'm getting to know you and i like you let's do this more often and it says that they were sincere the word for sincere means to, is a picture of soil without rocks And if you're going to plant seed in the ground, anywhere in the near future, a garden, usually you try to get rid of all the rocks because you want all this seed to have no hindrances for it to grow. And that's how it was with these people. They were on the same page. They had the same goal in mind. They wanted to get to know each other. They wanted to fellowship. They wanted the experience of eating together and growing together. And this idea of breaking bread together as in a way of eating together is not something that's brand new to this church. This is something that we find at other times throughout scripture. One of the most famous places is you find in Matthew chapter 14, verse 19. Jesus is breaking bread. He took this little boy's lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish. He's breaking the bread and he's giving it to the people. And you find, again, in, Acts, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 36, Jesus fed 4,000 men, besides women and children, this idea of breaking bread, and they're eating, they're partaking of just a meal together. Very normal, uh, but it's something that they were specifically doing together. Acts chapter 20, we find a little bit of both. We find that partaking of the Lord's Supper first, and then we find eating just a midnight snack together. And if you're familiar with what's in between, this is the big warning about the dangers of falling asleep in church. Okay, we'll get to there. (laughs) Acts chapter 20. The first example we have. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And this is in reference to communion, to the Lord's Supper. And you find out that Paul spoke to the people. And because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Then you have this situation where some guy up in a uh, window off a balcony. I think his name is Eutychus. I can't remember. He falls out of the window hits the ground, Paul rushes downstairs, lays on him and says, hey, this guy is okay. And it's like, okay, time out. Let's take a midnight snack. You find out that then he went upstairs again, he broke bread and ate, and then he continued talking. So they just had the Lord's supper. So you have this other opportunity where they are just together as people eating together, getting their juices going again, so they could continue to listen to Paul talk for the rest of the night. They ate together regularly. They enjoyed it. They, they did a lot of this. Unique people with different situations, and they said, hey, it's important. Guess what I'm going to challenge you to do today? I'm going to challenge you to get out your calendar book and look at somebody and say, hey, let's get together and let's eat. Let's figure out a time where we can get together and let's eat. Uh, let's, let's get to eat together as a church. Uh, it's a great time of fellowship. You know, we, we think about potlucks. You get to try unique food. You just take a little bit. I'm not sure I'm going to like that. You, you go and you talk to somebody for a few minutes and you, you wonder, I don't know if I'm going to have a good conversation with these people. But I'm going to try it because we are in a church setting at our church bunco party, February 14th. We got to do this. There was a big spread of yummy foods and ki- treats and cookies and all sorts of things that were out there. And we all filled up our plates. And we all sat down and we all started talking to people. Maybe it was people that we wouldn't normally talk to uh, on a regular basis or over a meal. But as a church, we did this. So those who were there doing that, good job. In a few weeks, we get another opportunity because Bud and Lois Fuchs are coming. Uh, March 28th, he's going to share about the ministry. Guess what we're going to do after church? every single buddy here every person here hopefully is going to walk downstairs and sit at the table and eat a yummy meal of food and talk to people and eating together as a church i want to encourage you right now to make plans to be there make plans to stay don't let something else come up that says i would rather do that say hey there is value in eating together as a church family But these people, they broke bread in their homes, and they ate with glad and sincere hearts. Guess what I want you to do, or what I'm encouraging you to do, is to eat together in your homes with other people. Whether it's a barbecue, after church on a Sunday, or at a restaurant, whatever is convenient for you and the other people that you want to invite over, figure out a time. You know, something that seems crazy to me that Leslie does when we have people over, is she usually comes up with a new recipe, no, I don't think that's common. I think usually it's like, this is tried and true. Let's go with this. Let's make this work. But she got into this thing of like, if we have somebody new, we're all going to try this new meal together. So if we all love it or we all hate it, we all do this together. Uh, we usually try to bring out a game. Uh, and the, the train game is what it's called, or ticket to ride. We try to get that game out and say, hey, let's do this because we know that that's part of the fellowshipping together. You know what's really funny is one comment that I've heard more than once. I've heard it at least three times because Leslie and I were talking about how many times we've heard this comment and who said it. And between Davenport and here, we've heard it three times. I had more fun than I thought it would have. <laughs> I heard that from a girl I grew up with husband and I used to hang out, but when it came to our house and eating a meal, it's like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do that. I had more fun than I thought I would have. We try not to preach at you, which, you know, anyway, so it's just, it's funny, you might find that you have more fun than you intended on having. But not everybody's interested in doing that some people come up with these really bad excuses for not choosing to do that. so i want to squash them if these are one of your excuses no more no more is this your excuse one is that well i don't know them i'm not going to invite these people over because i don't know them well guess what a meal is a good time to get to know somebody it's not a lifetime commitment It's just a meal. All you gotta do is get through a a short little meal, hope they like it, hope you like it, and you realize it wasn't so bad. I'm not sure we're gonna jive. You know, have you ever found out that the people that you thought, I'm not sure I'm gonna like that person, or I'm not sure we're going to connect, they turn out to be your favorite people? Now, I talked to Lauren about this, because I remember the first time uh, we had a annual business meeting, I remember Lauren was sitting about where Scott was sitting, and he just—he was just kind of sitting there, sitting straight forward. And I thought, I don't know about this guy. I don't know if I'm gonna, I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to drive with this guy. I'm just not sure about that. But you know what I found about Lauren? Is he's one of my favorite people. And I, I could have just said, you know what, this guy looks like I'm scared of this guy. I'm not going to try to interact with him. But I'm like, I like Lauren. We've done lots of house projects, we've had lots of conversations. I've seen him at the school, and I'm like, man. And I could have missed out if I said, you know what, I'm not going to jive with Lauren. A friend of mine back home, um, his name was Tyson. I remember he would come to church. He had a wife and a kid that was the same age as Noah. And I went up Sunday after Sunday for about five or six weeks to talk to this guy. And it was like talking to a brick wall, to a brick wall, to a brick wall. Finally. It turns out to be one of my best friends back in Davenport. We had meals together a lot. Our kids played together a lot. But if I would, I think he looked at me like, I don't know who you are. I don't want anything to do with you. But once I could finally get through that, it's like, it really wasn't that bad. So don't say, I'm not sure I'm going to drive or I'm not sure I'm gonna to get to know them because you can. You might say, we don't have anything in common. That's a good excuse, right? I don't have anything in common with these people. How could I possibly eat with them? Well, first of all, you have two things in common. Everybody here goes to the same church, and I think everybody would say, "I'm a believer in the Lord." So that's one thing you have in common. Anybody want to take a guess at what the other thing you have in common? It's not kids, it's not sports, it's not politics, it's not uh, employment. What do you think it is? Exactly. Who said that? You have to eat. Right? We all have that in common. We have two things right there. And if you can't find any more, write yourself some questions. You know, ask them some questions about their hobbies, write uh, about their background, about work, but do something to eat with other people because it's what they did. It's a good way to bond. It's a good way to fellowship. To me, this is like the greatest thing that the, the early church did. I mean, it takes, it takes pressure. Yeah, you got to make sure your house is clean. You got to make sure that you, somebody's cooking the food. You got to make sure that a date works out. But really, it's one of the easiest, one of the best things that we can do as a church. I did a little research to find out some of the advantages of eating together as a family. And these, I think, fit just well with a church family. Uh, One of the advantages is it gives a specific time to be connected. Oh, yeah, I'll talk to you next week. Oh, yeah, I'll call you in the future. Oh, yeah, I'll do this and do this. But when you put a date on the calendar, you sit your hiding in somebody's kitchen or dining hall or dining room, you have a specific time that you're focused on each other. You you both put it down so that you know something else isn't going to come up and distract you from it. As a family, my kids know that if I ignore them all day long, they have my attention when it's lunchtime or time, right? Unless it's the weekend. Then my attention when it's breakfast time. And it works the same as a church family. Another reason is it gives a sense of belonging. How many people are sitting at a table? It's just us and it's just you. There's nobody else. It's a small little uh, cozy group, right? It's just a, a fellowship of just a small bunch of people. And so it's like, it's just us. There's something special about it being just us and not the whole world at the same time. It's a good time to develop friendships. You know, it, I mean, everybody needs to eat. It's it's a good place where you set aside all of the extra things of the world going on. The TV's not turning on, the kids aren't running around. You're not trying to say, who do I want to talk to in the foyer at the same time I'm talking to Josh or, or somebody else? It's just you. And it's a great time to get to know each other and develop a friendship. And then if you happen to already have friends, it's a good t- time to maintain that friendship. Catch up on life because everybody's busy. I mean, it's calving season, right? Some of you are very, very busy. Some of you work these crazy hours every other week, like Todd does, right? And it's like um, those relationships quickly go bye-bye, even though you're not trying to make that happen. And so if you can get together and eat, you're just focused. And I can just have a, a conversation with you and say, hey, let's catch up. And it's something that the early church excelled at, and it's something that we as a church can excel at as well. So I just wanna encourage you, eat together, eat potlucks, have people over for lunch, go out to a restaurant, and don't don't wait for the invite. Be the person who says, okay, I'm gonna do this first. I'm going to invite somebody else uh, over for a meal or see what we can do to make this happen. Because you might realize you enjoy it much more than you ever thought you would. And you might develop a new best friend. Number two, so that's the first way of looking at this. Breaking bread together is just in the fun, enjoyable way of eating together. The second way to eat this, or look at this is in partaking of the Lord's Supper together. And you find out in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to this, to the breaking of bread. It was something that they saw value in. I don't know if they did that every single day, but it was something that they recognized. We need to be reminded of this very often. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 25. I'm going to read it from my Bible. It's a little easier for me to see. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 23 to 25. It says, For what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, what is this? This is my body. This bread is my body, which is for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. There's a lot of confusing things about there. And I probably everybody knows what those, are representation, but there's a belief out there that by uh, the Roman Catholics, they teach that once an ordained priest blesses the bread, it becomes Jesus's literal body. It just doesn't have the same flavor, the same taste, the same smell. It just looks like bread. But they look at that as if it becomes the Lord's body itself. The same with the juice. It retains the same look and taste, um, but they look at it as if it's the the Lord's actual blood that we're drinking. It's pretty gross. That's not true. Okay? Another one, it says that... The bread and the, the wine, they coexist with the body of Christ. And so in a sense, you're still eating the body. You're still drinking the blood. It just keeps looking the same. And that is not also not true. What you find is that this is real bread. Steve made it today or yesterday. It's just bread. Okay? It's, it's however little shape, however he made it. It's just bread. And that juice is just grape juice that Darren bought and squirted into these little cups. That's all it is. But what they are is they are a memorial. The the bread represents Jesus' body. The juice represents Jesus' blood. And we take it in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. And we do this together. We take the Lord's Supper together. This is what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It says, while they were eating, they're just having a regular meal. It says, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body, which I should take that back. It wasn't just a regular meal. It was a Passover meal, so there's a lot more significance to that, but it was was in the course of a meal, he said, this is my body, which is given for you, and you find that every time this is celebrated, it's something that is done together with a group of people. It's not just me, myself and I at home with my little juice and my little bread and saying, hey, I'm doing this in remembrance of, of Jesus. Because this is a proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes. When I'm taking that little juice and I'm eating that little bread, I'm preaching Jesus. I'm preaching. I'm showing. I'm declaring. I'm speaking that I believe this. That this is for me. I'm saying that I believe that, uh, and I accept this. I'm reminding myself, I'm reminding you, I'm, I'm letting everybody know that I am on the same page, that I believe this message, that Jesus needs to be my Savior if I'm going to have eternal life. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, it says that uh, when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we are participating in it. We are identifying with it. We acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord and we are going to follow him. We're supporting this. We're encouraging this. There's a, a little uh, section there where it's talking about eating this food sacrifice to idols. And if it's sacrificed to idols and then I eat that, I'm supporting that. I'm agreeing with that. I'm saying I'm under that authority. And when I take it in remembrance of Jesus, I'm saying I'm under the authority of Jesus. I accept this and I believe this. And so there's a great value in doing this and doing this together because that's the way Jesus did it. That's the way the early church did it as well. So we have two different meanings here for uh, breaking bread together. The first one is what you find with Jesus when he's he's breaking bread and he's giving it to the, to the disciples to pass up to the people. It's just having a very regular meal. And that's something that any of us can do with anybody. But the second one is it's a little bit different because the Lord's Supper was not meant for just anybody to take. It's only meant for those who have put their faith in Jesus alone for salvation. They are the only people who are supposed to take of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 30, it talks about the seriousness of doing this. Because, uh, I mean, and, and this doesn't really happen today. I don't know why God doesn't seem to operate in this realm today or in this manner today. Or if he does, I've never witnessed it. But it says... Uh, Whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body or recognizing the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. In that day and age, if they were taking it in an unworthy manner, people were dying. People were having physical side effects for doing this in an unworthy manner. And so God is taking this very seriously. This isn't something to just say, okay, everybody else is drinking this and everybody else is eating this. And I'm not going to go through the awkward experience of just passing this by. God takes this very seriously. And so we did take it very seriously as well. We don't want to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So what do I have to know? What do I have to do if I'm going to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? Well, there's two things that you got to get right. The first is that you need to have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have to admit to Him, yeah, I screwed up. I, I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. That I'm not good enough on my own to get to heaven. And that's a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow because you look around and we we feel like we're good people. We didn't go out and kill anybody. We're not we're not overthrowing governments. We're not torturing. We're not doing all this, robbing banks and stuff like that, those bad things. But we are still not good because the Bible tells us Romans 3:23, for all have sinned. Sin is breaking God's law. Whether it's something that seems minor or something that seems major, it's all the same. It's all equal. It all keeps you out of heaven. The wages of sin is death. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because God loves you. He says, I want you in heaven with me someday. And so I'm going to make a way possible for you to have eternal life. And Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He wants you to be saved, and he even made it easy. He didn't make us go out and fulfill a great big to-do list. He says, you just need to admit to me that you have screwed up, and you need my forgiveness, and and you trust me to save you, and Jesus says, I will save you. And so hopefully, that's something everybody here can say, I've done that. I've already checked off. I've already done step one to make sure my life is right before the Lord. The second thing you need to do, though, is to make sure that you have no unconfessed sin in your life. You know, we talked about last week, we talked about prayer and we talked about the acts of the prayer. And one of those things was C for confession and making sure that we do that on a regular basis of making sure everything is right between us and God. And I hope that you have been able to maintain doing that. But we, we've got to make sure that there's no unconfessed sin in our life, whether it seems like a big deal or a small deal. We need to make sure that we make that right before God. And so we're going to take a moment to do that in a few and just a minute here. I'm just going to give you the opportunity to say, hey, Jesus, I need you as my savior. I haven't trusted you before. Please give me salvation. Or, God, there's, there's these things in my life that aren't supposed to be there, and I'm asking you to please forgive me, and he will forgive you. So those are your two things you need to do if you haven't already done them before we take the Lord's Supper. And if you say, you know what, I'm not going to trust Jesus as my Savior, or I have seen in my life that I'm not ready to confess, then please don't take the Lord's Supper because it wasn't for you if you're not willing to, to do those things that God has asked us to do. So for a moment, we're just gonna, I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to make sure things are right between you and God, and then I'll call the, the deacons forward.